latest podcast from the Plastic Surgery Journal Club. Each month we review an appraiser journal article, typically from PRS, and summarize it for you in this podcast. The full journal can be obtained from the PRS website. Hi everyone and welcome to the April 2017 Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Journal Club coming to you from Sydney, Australia. My name is uh, Damien Marucci. I'm here with Dr. L. Van der Voort, who's one of the unaccredited registrars at the Children's Hospital of Westmead. The first paper we looked at was Autogenous Bone Reconstruction of Large Secondary Skull Defects by Theron et al. from Dallas, Texas. This was published in the February 2017 PRS. So L, what was this paper about in a nutshell? This paper addressed two issues. Firstly, it tried to determine the upper limits of cranial defect size amenable to autologous reconstruction. And secondly, um, there was a literature review, a systematic review to compare reported outcomes of autologous and alloplastic reconstruction of skull defects. Um, So it was a two-part paper. Firstly, there was a retrospective chart review of a single surgeon's case series of autologous reconstructions, um, and then the systematic review of cranial reconstruction outcomes comparing autologous and alloplastic um, uh, outcomes. And so uh, in terms of the case series, uh, that was quite interesting because obviously it was um, Dr. Fearon's uh, personal series of 96 patients uh, with a mean age of uh, quite young, generally speaking, 12.9 years, with a range of 1 to 65 years. Um, the risk factors were previous infection, previous infected hardware, but no patients had had radiotherapy, and the overall um, cohort of patients were generally post-traumatic craniosynostosis expansion. There were some tumours and congenital skull defects, but it wasn't a particularly, uh, well, there was no one, given there was no one with radiotherapy, it's, it's certainly different to uh, the uh, patient cohort that many of us see um, in our reconstructive practices. I had quite a good uh, follow-up. Uh, the mean was 28 months, um, but uh, did range uh, from one month up to uh, 20 years. Um, in terms of his literature review, how did he do that, L? Um, so he, they looked at studies uh, that were published in the last 20 years um, and found 59 studies which either looked at autogenous or alloplastic skull reconstruction. In terms of their inclusion criteria, um, they required that studies had a minimum of 10 patients, that they had clearly extractable outcome data, um, such as infection rates or secondary operations, um, and they also required that the studies had a mean follow-up of at least 12 months. They ended, ended up finding um, 20,566 patients who'd had autogenous reconstructions and then 4,651 alloplastic um, reconstruction patients. Within those 59 studies, they then took a closer look at 31 studies, which they felt um, they were able to derive relative risks from. And in this systematic review, um, comparing the autogenous and alloplastic groups, they found a higher mean hospital stay um, in the alloplastic group, a higher overall complication rate, uh, 18.8% in the alloplastic group compared with 15.2% in the autogenous group, and then also a higher infection rate and higher reoperation rate, again, in that, uh, in that alloplastic group. Okay, what outcome measures did they have for the case series group, the 96 patients who'd undergone the autogenous reconstruction? Um, So they assessed the residual defect using CT scan in um, 23 out of the 96 patients, and then the remaining were assessed for residual uh, bony defect or reabsorption with clinical examination or palpation. They found, and then they also looked at rates of complication, infection, need for reoperation. 
In terms of their finding in findings in the case series, they found a mean operative time of 3.4 hours, um, mean blood loss of 580 mils with 2% of the patients requiring transfusion, an average hospital stay of three days uh, and only a 2% complication rate with no, no um, cases of infection and only one patient requiring reoperation for a residual bony defect. And so what did everyone think of this paper? Um, I thought this was a good, uh, large, single surgeon case series. Um, I thought given that they were operating on some very some patients with very large cranial defects, they had very few complications, um, especially given that some of the, you know, large, 23% of the, their patients had a defect of between 120 and 506 centimetres squared. One of the issues that was raised was the uh, lack of objectivity in the assessment of results in the sense that uh, you weren't relying on CT scans, it was the uh, surgeon who presumably the one who has done the surgery presenting the results in terms of uh, reossification rates or complication rates uh, and there was no um, objective uh, external measures or um, investigators involved in order to uh, assess the outcomes. One thing that was commented on was some of the case reports uh, which were presented in the paper were incredibly impressive where there were massive uh, uh, defects uh, in the calvarium which were uh, reconstructed completely autogenously using the residual calvarium. Uh, certainly at uh, the institution I work at uh, we uh, occasionally use uh, rib grafts which are cylindrical and we sort of uh, uh, slice one rib into three uh, segments of bone uh, and uh, use a number of uh, non-consecutive ribs in order to reconstruct calvarial defects but this was uh, uh, very impressive uh, in terms of their ability to resurface a very large area of calvarium. Okay, is there anything else we need to say about this paper? Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts, head to soundcloud.com or subscribe to us on iTunes and search Plastic Surgery Journals. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks also to the PRS Journal team for their ongoing support.